Hi, I'm Kensley, and this week I am a one-woman show. So bear with me as I try to do this case alone. I appreciate all of you guys listening, but this case is still worth hearing and worth getting the information out for. Today I'm covering a case that's pretty fresh. We're coming up on just the six-month anniversary of it. It's a case that rocked a college campus, the whole state of Idaho, and the whole nation. This is The Ugly Truth, and today we're covering the Idaho College Massacre. The city of Moscow, Idaho, is known for a very low crime rate. They're mostly known for bars and coffee shops. This is the kind of town where people never lock their doors. They haven't had a homicide since 2015, so violent crime is unheard of. But on November 13th, 2022, this changed. At 1122 King Road, a house not far from the University of Idaho's fraternity houses, lived Madison Mogan, Kaylee Goncalves, Zana Kernodal, Dylan Mortensen, and Bethany Funk. The home they shared was three stories with two bedrooms on each floor. And the layout of this house is pretty important in this case. So it's the three stories, two bedrooms on each floor, like I mentioned. But the house is built on a hill, so the front door enters through the first floor but the back door is a sliding glass door. And since the house is built on a hill, that door actually enters in the second floor. So just for future in this case, that will be important to know. But here's what we know about the roommates. Kaylee and Madison, or Maddie, were best friends since middle school. They were basically attached to the hip and many people even thought they were sisters due to how similar they looked. Zana had been dating her boyfriend, Ethan, for a while, and he frequently spent the night. He was basically an honorary roommate due to how often he stayed there. These four I mentioned were very close, it seemed. At 8.57 p.m. on the night of the murders, Kaylee posted a series of happy Instagram pictures with Maddie, Zana, and Ethan. The four were seen laughing and smiling in each of the pictures. On November 13th at 11.58 a.m., a phone call was made to the Moscow police from 1122 King Street, reporting an unresponsive person. The police arrived shortly after, and after searching what seemed like a normal college home, they were shocked when they found not one but four bodies unresponsive with multiple stab wounds. The first victim found was Zana. Her body was found on the floor of her bedroom on the second floor. The second victim was found in the same room. It was her boyfriend, Ethan. After finding two victims, the police headed upstairs where they found two more victims. In the second bedroom on the third floor, there were two bodies. They were found side by side in the same bed. Those two were Maddie and Kaylee. Some of the victims had defensive wounds, indicating that they tried to fight back, but others didn't, most likely meaning they were asleep when they were killed. Kaylee and Maddie did everything together, and Kaylee's sister even came out saying they attended middle school together and high school. They got their boyfriends around the same time, like their first boyfriends. 
and they graduated together. They decided to go to the University of Idaho together. And now in their senior year of college at only 21, they died together. Zana and Maddie worked together on the campus. They too were very close. Zana was also part of a sorority on the campus. And Ethan was part of a fraternity on the campus. He was also a triplet. He had two other brothers and him and both of the brothers decided to attend the University of Idaho together. On January 5th, 2023, the probable cause affidavit was finally released on this case. And that's kind of what I'm going to base the rest of this episode off of because this is coming straight from the police departments. It's the most real stuff I think I can get. But according to the police, Zan and Ethan went to a party at the Sigma Chi house on campus the night of the murder. Other students at the party confirmed that they saw the two together at the party from around 9 p.m. on November 12th to 1.45 a.m. on November 13th. Ethan and Zana decided to go back to her house at the end of the night. Ethan lived at another off-campus house, but he decided to spend the night with Zana. Maddie and Kaylee were at the Corner Club, a local bar in Moscow. They were spotted there from around 10 p.m. on the 12th to 1.30 a.m. on the 13th. Shortly after 1.30, the two were spotted at the grub truck, which was a local food truck that actually streamed live video footage onto the platform Twitch. So they are seen on that video footage a little after 1.30. But after stopping at the food truck, the girls got a ride home, which is also seen in the footage. No one is seen with them or following them. And according to the affidavit, police believe all four were home around 2 a.m., And by 4 a.m., everyone was either asleep or in their bedroom, except for Zana. Around 4 a.m., Zana made a DoorDash order, so it showed up a little bit later. And police believe once she received her DoorDash order, she just went back up to her bedroom where Ethan was. And sometime between 4 and 4.25 is when the murders are believed to happen. One of the first interviewed about the murders was the DoorDash driver, but he was cleared. He said he never saw anything suspicious that night that was related to the murders. And on the night of the murders, there were six people inside the house. Only four were killed, two were spared. And there's been a lot of twisting of this story. So originally it was believed that the two survivors just slept through the attacks, but it turns out that's not true. Bethany Funk says she fell asleep in her room on the second floor, but was woken up around 4 a.m. She heard noises from upstairs that sounded like Kaylee playing with her dog. A little bit later, she heard Kaylee's voice saying something to the effect of, there's someone here. But she could have been mistaken with what she heard. It was a floor above her. But after Bethany heard the noises, she looked outside her bedroom door and saw no one. So she went back inside her room but then a little bit later she opened it again because she heard what sounded like Zana crying because Zana is just the room right next to her so it's not hard to hear Zana and then she also heard a male voice saying quote it's okay I'm gonna help you end quote but she didn't leave her room to check on Zana this was a decision that likely saved her life that night the security camera on the house across the street from where the roommates lived, picked up 
whimpering noises followed by a loud thud at around 4.17 a.m. It also captured a dog barking. And this camera was only 50 feet from Zana's bedroom window. When Bethany opened her door a third time, she saw a man. The man was wearing all black with a ski mask covering his face. According to Bethany, when she saw the man, she froze. But then the man just left the house out the back sliding glass door, walking right past her. But why did this man decide to spare her life? We still don't know. And hopefully soon, this information will be found. After the homicides, police swept the whole house for evidence. There was the possibility that some sort of DNA was left behind, or maybe the perpetrator was injured because some victims were found with defensive wounds, so they were hoping to find blood or anything other than the victim's DNA. The police did find a shoe print outside of Zana's bedroom on the second floor. The print had a diamond shape at the bottom of the shoe, which is very similar to what a van's shoe looks like. So that's what they're assuming it was a van's. And the police also found a knife sheath in the bedroom that Kaylee and Maddie were sleeping in. On the sheath were the letters K-A-B-R and USMC, as well as the Marine Corps Eagle Globe stamped on the outside of it. So it's a very unique knife sheath, not just your typical one. So they start looking into this. They send it to the forensics lab and they were able to lift some male DNA off of the sheath. The police also did find a video um, looking for vehicles. They just canvassed the whole area and asked everyone for their security footage. And one of the most suspicious vehicles they spotted was a white sedan with no front plates on it. So at around 3.26 a.m., the car was seen on a road about a mile and a half away from King Road, where the murders happened. Then between 3.29 and 4.20 a.m., the same sedan is seen around the house on King Road three separate times. Then the sedan is seen right by the house a fourth time at 4.04 a.m. It stops briefly, then it turns around. Then it turned back around at the intersection of King and Queen Road. These are both just college campus roads. And it began driving in the direction of the house. This is when police believe that the murders happened. The next time the sedan is seen is around 4.20 a.m. But this time, the driver wasn't driving the way he was originally. He's speeding and swerving out of the area when originally he was driving pretty slow and very clearly looking at this house specifically. But when he left, it looked like he was fleeing a murder scene, which he was. And shortly after this, the car is lost on video surveillance. But the police start working with the FBI and they decide to hand the video surveillance over to the FBI. The FBI agent who was assigned this task of find this car anywhere you can he had been working with the FBI for 13 years. He was very experienced, and thank goodness he was, because he was able to determine that the vehicle was either a 2011 through 2016 Elantra, so sometime in that time frame. From then, police looked for anyone driving a car that matched that description, which is like hundreds of thousands of people, so it didn't help a ton. 
but the police got their hands on some surveillance surveillance footage from Washington. It was Washington State University in Pullman, Washington. This campus is only about eight miles from Moscow, Idaho. The same sedan is spotted here at 2.53 a.m. traveling towards SR-270. The SR-270 is a highway that connects Pullman, Washington to Moscow, Idaho. So whoever committed these murders likely attended or lived by the Washington State University campus. So police in Moscow reach out to police in Pullman, Washington, and tell them to look out for a white Elantra that's missing the front plates. And a few days later, the Pullman police reported seeing the vehicle. The vehicle reported was a 2015 white Elantra with a Pennsylvania license plate. So they ran the plates and they found out it belonged to a man named Brian Koberger. Later, a few days later, another police officer found the same vehicle at an apartment complex. And this was an apartment complex that was specifically like student and family living for the university. So it was mostly university students. But this time when the vehicle was spotted, it had Washington plates. But he ran the plates again. And sure enough, it was also still registered to Brian Koberger. So they have just found their prime suspect. Brian Koberger grew up in Pennsylvania with his parents and two sisters, and he graduated high school in 2013. He then graduated from DeSales University in 2020 with an undergraduate in psychology and cloud-based forensics. Then he obtained a master of criminal justice in 2022. And at the time of the murders, he was a PhD student in criminology at Washington State University, about a 12-minute drive from where the murders happened. In fall of 2022, Koberger actually applied for an internship with the Pullman Police Department. He had to submit an essay about his interest and talked about how he wanted to help officers better collect evidence. And authorities also uncovered a Reddit survey where Koberger posted a question asking people to, quote, understand how emotions and psychological traits influence decision making when committing a crime, end quote. So pretty sure this guy's like trying to figure out how to get away with murder. And he's asking Reddit, what are the psychological signs of someone who's committed crime? So interesting guy. But authorities analyzed Koberger's cell phone data as well, and they discovered his phone pinged off of cell towers around the King Road house 12 different times before November 13th, meaning that he likely was stalking his victims before he actually killed them. And on November 13th at 2.42 a.m., his phone pinged near his campus apartment in Pullman, Washington. About five minutes later, the phone started traveling south in Pullman, and this does align with the um, videos that were seen of the white Elantra on surveillance. At 2.47 p.m., his phone stopped communicating with cell phone towers. This would mean that he either turned it off completely or he just put it on airplane mode. But after 2.47 a.m., the phone's connection is totally lost until it is turned back on around 4.48 a.m., when it pinged on a state highway not far from Moscow, Idaho. At 5.30 a.m., the, poli 
the phone was back at Koberger's apartment. The police also have evidence that Brian Koberger returned to the house on King Road just a few hours after the murders. Between 9.12 and 9.21 a.m., the phone traveled back to Washington. And he arrived at the house. The phone is pinging by King Road around 9.32. And this was obviously before the police were even called. In late December, the FBI had been tracking him for several days, but they still needed that probable cause or hardcore proof to get an arrest warrant and then be able to convict him. So right before Christmas, Brian Koberger drove across the country to his parents' house in Pennsylvania. As soon as he arrived, the FBI started their surveillance. Koberger was seen several times wearing surgical gloves outside of his parents' house and was also seen doing a deep clean of his car. He was also spotted throwing things into the garbage can outside his parents' house. A few items from the trash were collected by police and sent to forensics for testing. And I didn't actually know this, but trash is considered public domain. So even if it's your personal trash can or your dumpster that you have outside your house, as soon as you push it out to your curb to be picked up, it is completely public domain and police can search through it without any sort of warrant. So that's what they did. On December 28th, the police received their results back. It was determined that some of the trash and the knife sheath had male DNA, which was taken through a database to find family members because there was no one that matched exactly. And they were really sure it was Brian Koberger and it wasn't like he wasn't in the database. So they had to run it through and look for other family members. Turns out that the lab found out this male DNA matched the biological father of the killer. So Brian Koberger's father was the closest match to the DNA. So at this point, the warrant was issued and Brian was arrested in Pennsylvania until he finally agreed to be extradited to Idaho January 3rd, 2023. Brian Koberger was charged with four counts of first-degree murder. And as of now, he has not been convicted yet. But if he is found guilty, he will face either life in prison without the possibility of parole or he will face the death penalty. There was some stuff coming out recently saying that if he gets a guilty verdict, he might even face the firing squad, which I didn't know was a thing we still did. So obviously the severity of his crimes um, are leading to the possible severity of his punishment. But that's all that is released as of now. This case is still unfolding to this day. Obviously, trials are still going on. More information is being found about Brian Koberger and about everything that happened. But I just think this case is so heartbreaking and deserves to be told, especially coming up on six months since it happened. These families are still grieving. These friends are still so sad over the loss of these four beautiful people. And so my heart goes out to anyone that knows Maddie, Kaylee, Ethan, or Zanna. And I'm hoping that justice will be served here soon because that is what the four of them deserve. As always, thank you guys so much for listening. I appreciate you sticking with me, even though it's just me this week. And we will be back next week 
to bring you the another episode where we uncover the ugly truth. Bye, guys.